Hebrews 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Morning, everyone. How are we doing? Uh, my name's Josh. It's nice to be here. Good to, and, uh, to be able to speak to you this morning. Before we move on past our interesting verse, I'm going to unpack it. Don't worry. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Does that sound okay? Does that sound okay? Come on, let's do this. Okay, God, thank you so much that you're here with us. Thank you that you want to speak to us individually and you want to speak to us as a church. And thank you for the amazing mystery that it is that you can do both at the same time. So God, we trust you, we look to you, and we listen to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have a look back at that verse, shall we? So Hebrews 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Don't worry, we'll get there. So this summer, we've been walking through this portrait gallery of Old Testament heroes as spelt out for us in Hebrews 11, those named to have had or have great faith. To name a few, we've looked at the crazy obedience of Noah. We've gone back to the father of the faith, Abraham. We've looked at Isaac. God's mercy is greater than our mess. And then last week, uh, just to name a few, we've looked at more than this, but Jacob finally worshiping God at the end of a life of scrapping. We've looked and we've seen maybe some that we expect to be on a list of great faith. But as we delve into the lives of some of them, we think, well, maybe you shouldn't be there. And for all of us, we'll probably be coming to this service, to this sermon, to this opportunity to meet with God in very different places. Maybe some of us feel energized, encouraged in the area of faith and where our lives are and where they're going. That's great. I hope this sermon encourages you afresh in that space. But for some of us, we feel actually a little bit worn out, a little bit burnt out, a little bit battered by this whole idea of faith and confidence and conviction. And actually, we have our lacking confidence at the moment of what God could do and what God could do in and through us. And today, as we head down the generations from Jacob, who we looked at last week, who became Israel, that's his name changed, and he's the father of Joseph. And Joseph is who we're looking at this morning, the dreamer. And as we read this verse, I'm going to show you how we see a maturity in Joseph at the end of his life, one that is founded on a life lived with God and having to learn to trust God and having to build a strong faith in God through the experiences that he had throughout his life. But actually, really, this isn't about Joseph's faith as we delve into this verse. This is about him calling out faith for the future generations of God's people. It's about him saying, don't forget what is important. I love Joseph. I identify with Joseph in a really big way. Joseph's life was a bit of a leadership roller coaster. He seemed to go all over the place. And over there, don't worry, we will get to this later. I've got a little prop to help us. Um, I, but as a, young, as a young lad, the way, that it, the way that it started is Joseph, he received a dream. And the dreams kind of like what it pointed towards, I wouldn't imagine Joseph would have ever thought the journey would look how it did. It was full of lots of surprises. As you can see over here, it was full of lots of ups and downs. It probably wasn't the way Joseph thought it was going to go. But what I want to show you is how Joseph had confidence in God's promises. 
how Joseph had confidence in God's promises and how this verse in Hebrews assures us that he did and I hope calls out confidence in us as we begin to look at it a little bit more. So today we'll start and end with the idea of a promise, an old promise in the Old Testament given to God's people and then a new promise for you and I today as followers of Jesus. So he looked through this verse and it spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. This, you, look at, you think about that, the writer of Hebrews and you think of the story of Joseph and many of us will be really familiar with the story of Joseph. There's so many other moments I would have thought of first. Moments where Joseph had faith in a prison. Moments where Joseph had faith to understand a dream that was from somebody else or to understand a dream of his own. In a faith moment where he had to go before the king of the world pretty much in Pharaoh and trust God in that moment. And yet, the author picks this. So what is the Exodus? What is Joseph speaking about? Well, he's speaking about a promise that was given to Abraham. And we find this promise dotted around all through Genesis. I'm going to look at Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3 here that starts, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. Talks about being made a great nation. and Talks about their name being made great. Talks about God blessing them and cursing those that don't come in line with that. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you is what this promise says. You can find this promise in Genesis 15, Genesis 28, and in other parts of Genesis as well. But verse 7 of this chapter, it goes on to say, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. It's a future promise. It's thrown into the future, and this is where Joseph first sits in the narrative of the Old Testament. Is that actually Joseph knows that this is a promise, not for him anymore because he's coming to the end of his life, but for those who come after him as God's people. One that he won't see, but he wants to know, he wants the people of God to know in making this request of his bones, not staying where they are, that that, he wants the people of God to know you're not in the right place. Egypt is not your final destination. And in this moment, they were in some ways living in a moment in Egypt where it was kind of okay. Because Joseph was very much in charge of lots of what was going on. And they kind of had what they needed. But a time would come, the Bible says, where a new pharaoh didn't remember Joseph. And things got a whole lot more difficult for God's people. So I think by giving this instruction about his body, Joseph is saying, guys, don't forget, we're not there yet. He's reminding the people of God about the promised land that we read about in that Genesis verse just now. He's reminding them that actually we're not supposed to stay here. There is something better for us. There is a promised land for you and your, your children. He wants the future generations of Israel to remember this. Joseph had conviction and confidence in a future that God had for his people. And in his maturity at the end of his life, he's calling it out of them. He's calling it out of them to, to remain faithful, to trust God that there is a promise a promise that is coming. And it's amazing faith in your dying moments to think beyond yourself for others. And in his maturity, I think it has to have been shaped from a life lived, knowing God come through for him, building faith in God, seeing God work in different parts of his life. And I wonder, as you think about life, I wonder how you want to be known as we grow, as we mature, as we come further into our lives, what do we want to be at our core? And, and I've shared this story a few times, but it was many years ago that I shared it here at HTC. Six years ago or so, um, doctors found a satsuma-sized brain tumor in my dad's frontal lobe. 
They found it because he had earache and our kind of lives changed overnight. And my dad had to go into surgery and, and have it taken out. And it was, it was in a certain place in the brain, some of you will know, that is all to do with inhibitions. And so essentially what happened is my dad changed overnight. What I knew my dad to be like was different the day after his operation. And in God's amazing grace and in his healing power, my dad is pretty much back to normal now. He's, he's a bit chattier, which my mum likes. Um, but that, you know, it's a good thing. But what, what actually I want to focus on is the two to three weeks, maybe month, just after the surgery happened. Because in that, in that season, there were two things that didn't change. And I think that they got to the core of what my dad had built in his life through a relationship with God. And the two things were this, his love for my mum and his family, kept asking, Josh, how's your mum doing? Is she all right? This was in the first few weeks. And number two, his knowledge of God's word. He was quoting the promises of God, left, right, and center. Confidence, priorities, perspective built in a life lived pursuing Jesus and trusting him in every season. Not perfectly, I'm sure, but deliberately trying to build those muscles. And at the end of his life, Joseph has a depth of faith in God that knew God to be a God of truth, that knew if he'd said a promise for his people, that it's going to happen. There was an assurance, there was a confidence that it was going to be okay. And there was a, a depth of faith, faith but also an othersness focused about it. As we, as we come to the end of our lives, it would be so easy to be selfish about what we might be thinking about for ourselves and what we've missed. But Joseph, and in one of my dad's harsh, hardest times, actually it was about other people. And it was about the promises that God puts in his word to his people, to my dad, to his children. And what struck me is that these things don't happen overnight. And so one of my encouragements this morning for us all is that in any season and in every season of our life, it's important that we build muscles and that we are deliberate about informing what is at the core of who we are, our relationship with God the way that we have an other's focusness about the way that we live and the way that we pray and the way that we are. And God came through for Joseph time and time again and Joseph was able to say what he said at the end of his life. So let's have a look at Joseph. Um, I've got this little guy to help me. He's gonna go on our board in just a minute. Uh, lockdown, I didn't make this. I just wanna take no artistic kind of like plaudits for this. This was made during lockdown by our amazing kids team and I decided it would be quite fun to use it again today. So it's getting another run out. Um, and, and, and the author chose this, this moment as an important part uh, and there's so many others that he could have chosen. But what I wanna do is I wanna show how there was a journey for Joseph to this confidence. The journey to confidence is that it didn't just happen. Joseph didn't, have a dream as a 17-year-old, and suddenly he was the man of faith that this, that this Hebrews verse talks about. There's a journey to this confidence. In Joseph's life, it was a roller coaster, and I'm sure there were times where he was impatient and angry and times where he wondered, where is God in all of this? But I want us to chat through his life and show how in every single season of his life, God is doing something. In every single season of his life, he's building muscles in Joseph, this isn't how he looked, but in Joseph, that, that were informing the dreams and the future and the, and the stuff that he had, but he also wasn't wasting the present. God was doing things in him in every season, and uh, I promise I won't sing too much. It's going to be difficult, because a movie we probably watched every week was Donny Osmond's Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat growing up, so I know a song for every part of this roller coaster journey. So bear with me if something erupts from the depths. It is what it is, and we'll go from there. But, um, but you know... Actually, what we have here, just as a backdrop, is Joseph, and he's here, and he's about to receive some dreams, but Joseph is, he's by far the favorite son. 
His dad loves him. And it is shown by buying this amazing, kind of amazing coat, expensive, amazing coat, to make it, no doubt whatsoever, Joseph's the best. He's my favorite. He's the special one. It was, there were lots of reasons for that. He was, he was born to, to his dad in his old age for his, from his favorite wife, all of these kinds of things. There's lots of reasons. But it's an important backdrop to have as we move into this story, that, um, all of that. So let's have a look. First, we've got the dreamer. So Joseph is there. And I'm going to, you can find the whole of this story, Genesis 37 to 50. I decided not to read it before we went through it. That's okay, because we'll be here until this afternoon. But Joseph had a dream, and I'm going to do short versions of these, so do read it in your own time. But he had a dream where stars and sheaths of corn that represented his brothers and his brothers and his parents bowed down to his star or sheath of corn. So he had this moment where they were bowing down to him. Now, this dream was a dream from God a prophetic dream that spoke about the future. But Joseph handled it, as he was, like a 17-year-old lad, and he blabbed his mouth, and everyone got annoyed with him. Safe to say, can you imagine, just think through saying to your family, you'll bow down to me. Safe to say his older siblings were unimpressed. Well, you know, why does this one matter in the first place? Well, I suppose it does matter, because however wrongly handled relationally by Joseph and then by his brothers, we'll see very wrongly handled... This was still God saying, I have a huge plan for your life, Joseph. One of significance, one of influence, one where I'm going to use you. And I think even then, as a 17-year-old, I get the impression that Joseph would have begun to feel that. He would have, and maybe that's why he blabbed his mouth, because he was so excited. But Joseph's experience of God is starting to build, and his confidence in him is starting too. So let's, let's move this guy down the roller coaster, and hopefully it will come on the screen if you can't see it. And uh, we go down to... Uh, Well, it's a camel, but I'll explain that in a minute. And this is the moment in Joseph's life where his brothers react badly. Again, the short version of this story is they didn't like his dreams, so they sold him into slavery. That's pretty stark, isn't it, okay? So they basically, they they think about killing him, and in the end, the oldest brother goes, no, 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 let's just sell him into slavery. That'll be kinder. That will be better. And I wonder in this moment, again, there's so much you could go into. Every single one of these stories could be a sermon, and we've done that before. But I wonder in this moment whether actually Joseph was going, gosh, that is a big dream. How can this low possibly ever get to anything that God has spoken about over my life? I wonder if his confidence was shook a little bit in this point. And um, excuse me, as he gets sold into slavery, we move to uh, this lovely house with a, a small kind of pool lake outside of it. Uh, and this is Potiphar's house. Potiphar was part of Pharaoh's kind of like elite chief staff. He was a really important person in Egypt. And what we see immediately, and the reason I suppose that our roller coaster has gone up a little bit here, is that Joseph immediately finds favor in this context. He's a a slave. That's not good. I'm sure he's very aware that that's not the position he really wanted his life to be in. But immediately he finds favor. The, The Bible says that this Potiphar guy only concerned himself with what he ate and drank because Joseph did everything else. And, and it's amazing to see the favor of God on Joseph's life as he went up the ranks. As you read in Scripture, it seems to happen really, really quickly. And because Joseph is a man of honesty and integrity, one that you can only assume is being built because of a relationship with God. And so you've got this backdrop here. But also, what's interesting, and we'll get to this more later, is the muscles that Joseph is building in this season are equipping him for what God has for him next. It's important to remember that in every part of this, whether in resilience or understanding dreams or being somebody who manages things, there are muscles being built in Joseph, lessons being learned 
that are building his faith and trusting God, but also equipping him for what's next. In every season, God is doing something with Joseph, ready for what is next. Um, Next we have, and this is definitely a low, we have the the prison days. Now, in in Potiphar's house, uh, Joseph is referred to in Scripture as a good-looking man, and Potiphar's wife agrees with what Scripture says about Joseph and is trying it on with Joseph uh, and wants Joseph to, to sleep with her and all this kind of things, really try. And, and Joseph, in integrity, I think partly to his master, but in the first place to God, says, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. And what ends up happening is that Potiphar's wife says to her husband the opposite of what happened. She accuses Joseph of trying to come on to her and all of that kind of stuff. And as you'd imagine, Servant slave versus master's wife. It didn't, you know, didn't go well, and Joseph ends up in prison. And he, he's done nothing wrong. And actually, you see, as you read through the story of Joseph, once again and immediately, it seems that the favor of God and what God is calling Joseph to, he gets to do it in prison as well. All of a sudden, he is basically overseeing the whole of, of the prison. He's looking after and looking out for all the other prisoners. So the, the guards don't seem to have as much to do as they used to because Joseph is managing the whole thing. Again, muscles are being built in Joseph that are informing his calling and informing where God is taking him in the future. It's all quite amazing as you look at that. And there, there seem to be two major threads in Joseph's life. Leadership opportunities and dreams. And in prison, you get the culmination of both. You have a leadership opportunity of overseeing this prison space, but then also, he's had a dream, which he doesn't really understand yet, but he's working on it, but then these two people come in who have both had dreams that they don't understand. We've got a baker and a cupbearer. Both of them work for the King Pharaoh, and and they tell Joseph their dreams, and it's good news for one and bad news for the other. The baker is going to be executed. That's what the dream means. Joseph tells him he dies, poor guy. But the second one, is the cupbearer, somebody who is the chief person who gives wine to Pharaoh. And what Joseph said is, you will be reinstated into your role. He's able to successfully and correctly because of God. And that, I wonder, his confidence in God's growing here, isn't it? Because God is speaking to him, and it's working. His faith, his confidence is being built. And this cupbearer, he, he, he does. He gets restored to his position. And what Joseph said to him is, hey, remember me. Remember me when you got an opportunity to tell me about Pharaoh. Did he remember him? No, two years. Two years he didn't remember him, and and Joseph, I can't imagine it was that fun. Sure, he's got responsibility, but he's still in prison. And I wonder if the resilience built in those two years and more before informed again how Joseph was able to, to trust God when things were tricky later on in life. The resilience that he built in this season, I'm sure, was a great help to him. And and we've got from prison, and, and what we do now is we get to, to Pharaoh. This, is, this guy over here. Pharaoh is the king. Pharaoh could just like say, you know, do that, and everyone would do it. Pharaoh could say, that person needs to die because they looked at me the wrong way, and that person would die. There's a scary moment when you get called before Pharaoh, because I'm sure it was unpredictable. Now, what happened is Pharaoh had a dream, and everyone in the kingdom couldn't work it out. Finally, the cupbearer, years later, remembers. Oh, there's a guy called Joe in prison. Pretty good at the dream stuff. Why don't you give him a shout? So Joe comes out, and again, all of these, believe me, are long story short. <laughs> They're long story short. But, but actually, Joseph is, is brought out of the prison, comes before Pharaoh, and he's able to take this dream about 
cows and eating other cows and, uh, and all these things happening and interpret it and say, what is coming is 14 years that you need to manage really carefully. Seven years of so much food, you're not going to know what to do with it, followed by seven years of so little food, in fact, no food, that again, it's going to be really difficult to manage. And, and what Pharaoh does is he's like, okay, well, I need a, and this is Joseph's big job offer, I need someone to manage this. I need someone to lead us through what's about to happen. And this is the bit, as I looked at it, that kind of, it got me excited about God's plan for our lives, right? Because Joseph was asked to be prime minister. In his life, he's had to manage the elite and the people in society would have had some sort of different expectations at different times. He probably would have had to think on his feet a whole lot in managing something like that. And then equally, but in a completely different context and a completely different way, the exact same thing here in prison. And so he's got this sort of breadth of the society that he's about to manage as prime minister, and he's practiced it over years. Not only that, but God in his kindness has given him two slightly easier dreams to do before he gets to Pharaoh's. He's trusted God that, well, God has, you know, I've interpreted dreams before because of God. So when he gets to the scary moment where if he gets it wrong, he's dead, he's able to do it there as well. This is an amazing thing of God building muscles in Joseph all the way through his life, to take him to where he is now. And so Joseph is asked to lead everything, lead people through. We've gone up and down here because I would imagine seven years of plenty and seven years of famine had a whole lot of challenges along the way. But actually, he, he did that, and he went along this part, and, and we, get to, we get to this bit now where all of that practice has happened, and then there's a moment where his brothers, who are somewhere else in the world, they hear that there is food in Egypt. They hear that there's food there, and there's food nowhere else, so this is the seven years of famine, which is the second half of the 14 years, and Joseph's family get word that there is food there, and there are many exchanges. It goes between three, four chapters of Genesis, where Joseph is essentially testing his brothers. Have you changed? Have you matured? Are you who you were when you threw me away and sent me into slavery, or has something shifted? And what's able to happen in this moment is that Joseph is able to reveal who he is to his brothers. He's able to forgive them. They're able to say sorry. And there's an amazing moment of reconciliation. But I want to draw on a scripture that happens just a little bit later in Genesis 50. And this is, after this, we talked about different like, bits of land being given to different people. And a lot of it is Joseph's respect for his father. And then that's Jacob, who we learned about last week. And then his father dies. And this is the exchange that happens in Genesis 50. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. They're fearful about their future, okay? Their dad's died. But Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph knows his place. Joseph knows he's not that. And then this amazing verse. This amazing verse that just shouts maturity and perspective and a knowledge that God is in control and that we can have confidence in that. He says, you intended to harm me. Looking back at that roller coaster, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid, I'll provide for you. He reassured them, spoke kindly to them. And Joseph knew that wherever he was on the journey that God had a plan for his life, you see it time and time again in the way that he reacts, responds, makes the best of the bad, and has integrity along the way. So we don't, we see, don't we, why he had this conviction and confidence in the promises of God of old, and wanted to call them out of the people of God in the future. Because he's seen it, and he's done it. He, even his bones, he didn't want to be left in a land of bondage and death. 
but in the promised land of the living. It's a resurrection-like outcome and attitude. His request is not just about a personal desire, but almost instilling a hope and confidence that God would do something for the corporate people of God. And so we have Joseph's confidence in God's promises. That's where we started. We've had this journey to confidence. But what about now? What about you and me as we respond to this story? Well, let's, let's learn from Joseph quickly, shall we? Let's apply some of this. When, when he got it right, he did get it wrong as well. Joseph wasn't perfect. Let's be clear about that. But uh, the dream, and in the dreams you have, even the ones you feel God has given you very specifically, are they submitted to God? God's given me dreams. I'm somewhere on my own roller coaster, trusting God, trying to trust God. I don't get it right all of the time. Am I submitted to God? It's an amazing verse in Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. When we hope in anything that isn't God, that's where it leads. I just feel awful. But hope in God, there's security in that. There's promise in that. There's, there's trust in that. In times of betrayal, as we go through these different parts of Joseph, in times of betrayal, do we go to God in our dark times where we feel the world is against us? You know, wherever we are on our journey, God has a plan for your life. In times where we're stuck in a job that we don't want, haven't asked for, or we don't feel is the end goal. Are we willing to have integrity in these places like Joseph did? Are we willing to even see God use our gifts in those spaces, even if we ultimately know it's not where we're supposed to end up? Are we willing to make the most of the different parts of our roller coaster and being deliberate about saying, please, God, teach me in these seasons? Times where we feel imprisoned, are we willing to build muscles of faith? Or even skills in these times where we feel like we are trapped? Because, you know, wherever you are on your journey, God does, he has a plan for your life. In times of fruitfulness, are we willing to give God glory and credit for those times? It's easy to ask for help when it's tricky, but are we willing to say, actually, the, the good bits are about you as well, God? To praise him, to glorify him, to show Jesus others in the way that God has blessed you in your life. And in opportunities for reconciliation, it feels like a Joseph type thing. But he had an opportunity for reconciliation, and wherever you are right now, God has a plan for your life. He, he forgave you, and he asks us to forgive others. Maybe there's things in your life at the moment that freedom would come from forgiveness. In my life, I've found that that's the case. And I just, as we, as we go through, wherever we find ourselves today, know in faith that you can say, God has a plan for my life so I can make the most of the part of the journey that I'm on. I can find God, see God, trust God, be used by God wherever I am right now. Ultimately, I know I have an eternity with Jesus. Ultimately, I know that the Bible promises life in all of its fullness. And so wherever I am on the roller coaster of my life, I can say, God, I know. I can have confidence that you have a plan for my life. And, it, you know, let's, be, let's not be tempted to stop trusting God. It's a temptation. There's lots of temptations. Joseph didn't even in death he didn't stop trusting. And as we read on in Hebrews, Hebrews 12 talks about the sin that so easily entangles. We can trust God in those things as well, in the bits of life that are just difficult and that we're struggling with. Which leads me to, I suppose, a final point. It's a short point. Our confidence in a new promise. Our confidence in a new promise. And ultimately, as Christians, we find ourselves in a space where we can know certainty for the future. Joseph held conviction and confidence in a promised land. Start of our chapter that we've been in this whole time. Now, faith comes on the screen is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. 
You and I, through Jesus, we have a promised place in eternity. That's the amazing truth that we get to lean into and we get to know as followers of Jesus. Our destination is set. Their destination was still coming, but our destination is set. And that destination gives perspective for for the hope that we can have and hope on the journey. Joseph trusted that he was part of a people, God's people. I think we prayed about it earlier. You and I were children of God. That's who we are. We're God's people as well. If you follow Jesus today, you're part of a family and it's here. And it's wider than here as well. Isn't that exciting? But you and I know the truth that, that Jesus says that we are that, that we're children of God. And our choice today is to be a people of faith in every season. To be a people of faith in every season to hold conviction and confidence that God is the hope for today, the hope for tomorrow, and the hope for all eternity through Jesus Christ. To look at God's word and know his promises. God has spoken over many of us specific things that are going to happen in our lives. Let's put those under Jesus and say, well, we we hope in you, Jesus. And we trust you with whatever happens, whatever season we're in, wherever we find ourselves. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or you don't have a, a history that you feel like you can even look back at as a roller coaster, actually your, your backdrop is the cross. And Jesus inviting you into a relationship with God and saying, I died in place of the wrong you do, the wrong you're gonna do, so that you can have a relationship with my Father. And I did that for you. And actually, my experience is that I'd much prefer to be on a roller coaster with Jesus than a seemingly chilled and flat path without him. There's so much more. There's so much more depth. Life in all of its fullness isn't always easy, but I tell you, it's fuller. So I encourage us today, wherever we are, to think what, what's at our core? How do we want to be known and remembered? What muscles are we building so that when those moments in life come, those pinch points come, we, the right things come out? Love for God, love for his church, love for one another, whatever it might be. That we know the promises of God that are spoken over our lives as followers. And there's so many, I could list so many promises in scripture. Read what God says about you and choose to believe it even when it doesn't feel true. I was encouraged to say, once we draw to a, a close, to live for an audience of one. I feel like that's what Joseph did. He lived for, for God and not for all the expectations that might have been around him. And today, we need to know the promise of the future, both the big picture of eternity and the specific things as we walk through life with Jesus. But also be willing to live and love in the present. Whichever part of the roller coaster you find yourself on today, we can know God in it.